movies have generated their audience enthusiasm and keep you sitting there eating your popcorn till the very end because what you want, at least the audience wants, whether it's TV or movie, is that you want some kind of comeuppance. You want justice to be done. And you would like revenge of some point. Bring on Clint Eastwood. <laughs> He'll take care of business. Oh, those movies have made millions and millions. So <clears throat> revenge is really tightly woven into human history, the movies, into literature. And, but how unlike love. Is that really going to make the box office lines just string down the street? People come in to hear a story of forgiveness and love. That's more of a commentary on human nature than anything where we are. Well, let's get it made personal. Has anyone hurt you? Made you mad? I don't know. You may be stewing in some of those juices right now. I, I don't know. But I know this, that somewhere along the line, somebody's ticked you off. And uh, how well you've handled that and are handling that, well, just fasten your seatbelts. Let's go on through this. Um, what have you done with it? Could ask those questions. Have we distanced ourselves from those people who've wounded us? Um, you know, we can find other ploys other than just uh, something like shooting people, which that happens all the time. But uh, maybe just benign neglect. Hey, like, I'm out of here. You won't see as much as you, me as you used to. Sorry you're going to miss my wonderful presence when I'm gone. Um, maybe it's in a family. You may have grown up in a family where there was too much of this kind of stuff. Where there was always, somebody has an agenda. Whether it's the father or the mother or the siblings. And there is... There's anger and there's bitterness that just bubbles under the surface. Well, we could go on. But the, the smoldering embers, embers of revenge uh, can really be deadly. And a great forest fire can come as a result of them, of forest fire and relationships. But what do we do about the impulse for revenge? What do we do about the fact that when evil is perpetrated against us, in this passage, this is what Paul's giving attention to. He is focusing upon what you and I face in living in a hostile environment. And you will see this week and Lord willing next week that uh, evil is to be overcome by good. Well, we've got to define what's evil look like and what's the good look like. How, how can I do that? And so... Oh, revenge. You know, one of the elements of revenge that easily could give bias, it's really at the very heart of part of it is we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We think, you know, we're owed some, we're owed, we're, God owes me justice. And when, and when I want it and how I want it. That's not a pretty picture. So what do we have before us? What is happening in this passage is that, you know this from previous messages, that there is a, it's like a, a cascade of thoughts that roll down to the stream. And the motivation behind this is to be moved by the mercies of God. Uh-huh. 
If God's mercies, are they prevalent in my thought life? Do I nurture them? Do I act upon these mercies? A mind that's renewed will seek to grasp what it is that pleases God. Romans 12, 2. Don't forget those seminal verses, 1 and 2 of 12. And so, at that point, though, we know that Paul's very realistic. He was a realist. And that's why he introduces this issue of having hostile, uh, having enemies and dealing with hostilities. We will have enemies in this life. I don't need to rem- convince you of that, I think. We know, for example, that the big neighborhood in which we live, our world, hates Christ. Never forget that. Why? Oh, they may have affection for an artist's portrait of Jesus and sentimentality that tries to picture Jesus as something other than he is. But Jesus said, the world's hated me and it's going to hate you. Is offended by Jesus Christ, the Christ of the Bible. Now, this isn't to say that you can't have friends among non-Christians. So we want to be careful that we go around just uh, constantly with a Maybe what we might think is a justified chip on our shoulder that somebody's out to get me. Just to, you know, the, the cynicism, everybody's bad, and I got to be on my guard. Okay, there is some being on guard. We'll, we'll deal with some of those things a little later on. But we must never forget that it's the message of the cross of Jesus Christ that's an offense to the flesh. It's an offense to the world. And so, therefore, we get in the crosshairs. That's what's happening. You remember, was it a week or two ago that was last we spoke, I spoke to the issue of how do we respond to our persecutors? What's the way we should be thinking? You can have enemies because you're a Christian. You can have enemies because you stand on Christian truth. And that may even bring up some enemies within the body of Christ. That's where it really gets difficult because it's a little more complicated. Fellow professing Christians. And what do you do with that? And then in this passage now, we're told not to curse. We're not told to repay anyone evil for evil. We're not to take any revenge. And we're, to be, we're not to be overcome by evil. Doesn't that have the effect immediately of making us feel just a bit, um, uh, what's the word I, I can say? I'm sitting there trying to imagine how dealing with my feelings, how do I overcome those? How do I deal with that? How do I get my thinking right on these matters? Retaliation and revenge are out. Love is in. Lord, help me. <laughs> help us. What does it look like? How do I proceed? We offer our bodies. We're not to be conformed to this world. All right, now we're right down snug up on verses 17 through 21. So look, look closely at this. The first thing we ought to be aware of here is that the new birth calls kingdom citizens to an ethic of non-retaliation. That's what's going on here. Now, caveat, footnote, whatever you want to call it. We're not talking about government here. You please understand that this is not a passage that is justifying pacifism. And that uh, there are those who've told Stoy and others who've taken this kind of passage say, well, should even have police force. I mean, that very fact, just defund the police. Hey, we're all we're good here, and you who are telling us not to do this and not do that and penalizing us when we, when we break the law, you're the one that's creating the problems. I mean, we have this insanity 
that is moving rapidly through our own society. It's a killer to do that, ironically. So I just want to make it clear, though, that this passage is not speaking to our responsibilities to, to government and how government is given responsibility to deal with evil and to seek revenge is in the hands of government. That's clear? It's important. All right, let's go further with this passage. So what we've got to, what we have to look at here is that we have to take the initiative at being peacemakers. It's God's prerogative to avenge all wrongs. Remember what I said about Abraham? Why did Abraham and Isaac behave the way they did? They knew that God had made a promise of land, seed, and blessing. Going back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. And they rested in that. Did they behave properly at all times? Did Abraham and Isaac each resort to some deception about being, just having been married to the most beautiful girl in the world? And so they have to say, oh, she's not my wife. <laughs> okay, we understand that you know, God's people have warts. And there are those things. But yet there's this underlying tenacity to stay true to what God has promised. So we deal with our relationships over the long haul. God's perfectly just, and he will ultimately not allow evil to go unpaid. That's important. That's important. Dig in on that. It will be punished in his time, in his way. Sometimes it is temporal. Sometimes God does exact this justice in, in portion in ways. But ultimately, he's going to take care of the undoing of the wrongs. So now let's look at this verse, and I'm going to draw up three statements. If you're following along, uh, you'll notice that about the first three statements that I have there before you are going to be working off these, this text, all right? Look at verse 17. Let's examine it. Let's put it under the magnifying glass. And then, we will, then we'll stand on that. That's our platform for making some conclusions. When he starts out this verse, he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. One thing that you need to keep in mind about the Bible, it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a hermeneutical observation, how often the Bible begins with negatives. You know, people say, well, we shouldn't be negative. The Bible begins with negatives. Don't do this. Don't do that. It doesn't stay there, but it begins there. Never, he says, don't take the law into your own hands in terms of personal relationships. Never pay back evil for evil. So, interestingly, it, I think Paul probably, I think this is a fair guess. Paul had been a Pharisee. Uh, he had been at the top of his class. He had graduated summa cum laude in the school of, of uh, training future rabbis. And he knew... He, but I think he also knew what Jesus had taught with regarding revenge. You remember that? Just, just to look over our shoulder for a minute, look backward. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is going through those situations where he says, you have heard that it's been said that, and I for an, and in that particular case, this is Matthew 5, 37 and following, um, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that sort of thing. Well, that was really a legitimate principle in its context in the Old Testament, that the judgment, the penalty ought to fit, the punishment ought to fit the crime. That's what I was saying. 
if somebody knocks your tooth out, you don't just turn around and knock their tooth out, but you want to be there to be just and right compensation judicially. All right. Well, the Pharisees had really taken that thing and turned it upside down. And they, they had made, out of that, they had made a hard and fast, kind of a, what they wanted to see was a sanctified legitimacy for revenge. You can get revenge, and here's the way to do it. Jesus says, no. And that's the passage that says, somebody boxes you on the cheek, turn the other. Somebody wants you to go a mile, go a second mile. That's where Jesus develops that. So what's percolating in that passage, we'll get back to this point, is that there is a way to handle offenses and how to deal with people who wrong us. We're going to deal with that today and next week. All right. So he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Well, don't try to get even. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. I, on close examination, and I have two translations in front of me. The one I has just read. And the other says, be careful to do what is right. The word that's translated here, respect, it's an interesting word. Uh, it's, a, it's a compound word in the Greek language. And literally it means to think beforehand to anticipate, to think of, you ought to have, look, look what's going on here. Don't let your emotions be in the driver's seat. Get your mind in gear. Because you know what happens when you're wrong. Emotions show up fast and furiously. And they can really then begin to distort our thinking process. So this is what he's saying. You've got to give forethought, forethought to what is right. And then you plan to and execute that plan and do that. And then he says, in the sight of all men. Why does he say that? We do not want to send the wrong message to a watching world. When we are wronged, whether it's by an unbeliever or a believer, we want the right message to be sent by way of our response to that. So don't let people see and how much damage has been done to the name of Christ by individual Christians and churches. And they get into situations where they're up to law, lawsuits up to their ears. And people are trying to get their revenge and their payback. And I, I'm not even going to go through all that dirty laundry out there. I read about them. I have... I have sites that show up on my email that keep me kind of up on what's happening here and there. And I'm thinking, another one? Oh, my. What well, must the world be thinking about us Christians? Well, he's saying, his, he's saying this. Take thought for what is attractively, uh, is another word that we want to look at here. He says, what is right in the sight of all. There are two words for good in the New Testament. One of those words, for those who are interested, is a word, agathos. Anybody here named Agatha? That's where your name comes from, that. Uh, that means something good that's intrinsically good. That's just bright. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not the word he uses here. He uses a word here that focuses upon the attractiveness, the way good looks to others. 
It's honorable. It's the right thing to do. It's pleasing to see. It's that word. Actually, the word in the original is a word from which we get a kaleidoscope from, the, uh, where a, a, something that has color and features and dimensions and configuration that's quite pleasing. Well, I want you to see this, though, that he, he's saying, take thought for what is attractively good. Christian conduct must look good. That's what he's saying. Now, this is not a faked thing. This is not a certain thing that you try to just put on without serious thought, but it's coming up from right thinking. You're seeking to do what the gospel would guide you and direct you to do to be a peacemaker, and this is what will look good. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm going to pause there. We're going to go to the 18th verse, and are we ever? This is the one, one verse that Christians have, well, maybe some have, really stumble over. But let's consider what he's saying here. I want to make two statements here. They're right in front of you. One is, we live in a world where evil is to be overcome. You can, if you want to anticipate a little bit, you can see, jump over verse 18, and you'll see, we'll deal with this, Lord willing, next week. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. We live in a world that is dominated by evil. Now, what is evil? That evil to which, obviously, when Adam and Eve, did they ever get scammed? You ever been scammed? I have. And it's embarrassing. But with Adam and Eve, they went into it with eyes wide open. Oh, Satan said, oh, God said you're not to eat of the tree of good and evil. Oh, wait a minute now. Come on. You know, God's, God's really not telling you the whole thing here. It's something that you could be missing out on. Oh, okay. Evil comes in, and what was it? It was this, that yes, you can see the good, but you can't do it. Now, Satan made them think, you'll see good like God sees good, and you'll see evil like God sees evil, and you will be able to overcome it. The opposite happened. You'll see good, and you can't do it. You'll see evil, and you can't help but do it. How about that for a scam? And it snookered them. All right, so we have evil then that comes into the human race and everything falls apart. Because evil, if you break it down, it's, uh, well, immediately in the context, it's death. It's suffering. Suffering is an evil. It's not a friendly force, though it can be transformed by the gospel as death can. And so evil and, and sin, those three things, death and sin, and uh, suffering. All right, that's the world we live in. Now, what are we to do with evil? Evil is to be hated. Verse 9, abhor that which is evil. Evil is not to be repaid. Verse 17, verse 19. Evil is to be punished. It will stand before the judgment bar of God in one way or another. And God overcomes evil, and he's not defeated by it. And he has delegated to us and given us the responsibility to overcome evil with good. So it's possible, by God's grace, for us to get the upper hand and deal with it, and deal with the desire for revenge, is what he's saying here. Yeah, and God is going to bring his children, he's going to bring us ultimately to, an etern to the eternal kingdom with him where they, all evil will have been forever overcome and we won't have to worry about it anymore. 
But guess what? For right now, we're still here. <laughs> and we have to deal with it. Which leads me to the second statement. Evil can be overcome by avoiding quarrels and pursuing peace. That's what we'll see in the next verse, verse 18. If possible, the if possible statement. Proverbs 15, 16, 17. They ought to flash on the dashboard here. Better is a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Or uh, Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. We've got some wisdom going here on how to look at this thing. And so an atmosphere of peace is better than quarrels. Uh, just a little footnote here. Some of us grew up in atmospheres where, you know what, we found out to work for us temporarily. It seemed to work. It worked emotionally. That the best thing to do when quarrels were breaking out was to avoid the people, avoid the situation, run and hide, duck and run. Well, now we're so, we have to meet it head on God's way. Lord, help me. All right, let's go further with this and see what we should do. So we know, we can know this. Quarrels, they're the mother of untold misery if they're untreated by truth. I know, I know we have people say, well, you just got to get it off your chest. That's what you got to do. Just go ahead. That, that'll help you feel better. It's not about feeling. It's about doing what's right before God. And feeling will follow in tow. So we're not saying that you are denied. We're going to talk more about that next week, Lord willing, on how the feeling issue fits in here. So with that said, let me just pause here. And I may not be able to get another statement tucked in here. But with those two opening statements and looking at verse 17, I want to go to verse 18, and I want to make a couple of comments about that uh, opening line, well, the whole thing. If possible, if possible, there's a qualification here. This is a qualifying statement. Sometimes it's not possible. All right, that should be plain enough. So far as it depends on you, what's that saying? We have to assume responsibility. How so? So far, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, here's what I would like to do. This probably will take the balance of what time we have. I think this is so important to see. And it's this. Um, let me read for you James chapter, uh, I'm going to read three. Verse, you don't need to turn to it. If you, three in verses 13 through 18. Because what we're going to immediately encounter here is that we need a lot of wisdom if we're going to deal with, with uh, the temptation for revenge and if we're going to forgive and love. All right, what's it look like? Who is wise? I'm reading James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There will be disorder in every vile practice. Oh, I'm taken with that selfish ambition thing. You know, when you are up against, when you want to resort to revenge, and you know what's down underneath that's driving that, is selfishness. Selfishness is a heavyweight boxer. How you think you might do in the ring with that heavyweight boxer? And we're untutored to deal with it by ourselves. Okay, let's go further. Just the thought in passing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Oh, see that word pure? It does that which is right before God. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wonderful, wonderful words. I, I want to say several things. Several things. These are not in an outline, so I will try to make them deliberate so that you can get them, but I want to unpack them. I want to make just maybe four statements about this. But first of all, just this handle on it. Let's get a handle on it. As much as is in you, this is just, I'm trying to put a frame around those four principles I'm about to give you. As much as is in you, don't be the cause of trouble, what he's saying, if possible. Uh, don't avoid the hostile person. Oh, you find yourself wishing, oh, I wish he hadn't said that. Yeah, it's so much easier. You know, I don't have to take any medicine, I, you know, and I can enjoy my vacation. I can find another place, place where everybody likes me. Uh, you know, there are all kind of uh, sedatives that we can go to. And then he's not saying also, just to frame these principles I'm about to give you, he's not saying at all cost, whatever it takes, do this. No, it's not peace at any price. This is why certainly on the surface, well, not only on the surface, of it, he's not talking about government issues here. You, you, you can get into history and government. This is not the Neville Chamberlain approach to peacemaking. For those of you who don't know Neville Chamberlain was, he's notorious for having been snookered by Adolf Hitler, thinking they'd have peace in their time, and just the opposite was true. Enough of that. But All right, so what we need is not at all costs. He said, wisdom that's from above. That's how you will go about being a peacemaker. And then... We do have an example of Paul that helps us here with this. May I rehearse that with you? Bible quiz. Where did Paul give us a really, really helpful example in his own behavior? In dealing with someone who was essentially wronging him and others, and he didn't just look the other way and play dodgeball and not did not wanting to offend anybody you remember what it was yes i think in in peter in galatians chapter 2 and let me read the passage and then i'll say just a couple of things i haven't gotten to those principles yet i'm just giving you a run-up on them but when cephas came to antioch i opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. 
church picnic. All right. We've got somebody brought shrimp salad. <laughs> somebody brought barbecue pork. These Gentiles, they just don't think. Well, Peter, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Oh, he didn't want to offend people. Wasn't that sweet of Peter? He didn't want to have anybody get upset with him. So he just went over and he kind of just moved away from the, all of that, uh, all those special meats that uh, were good to the taste, but he couldn't eat. And well, what did he do? Here's what happened. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Oh, do I need to read that one again? I'll read it again. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You know what was at stake there. Now, I don't think Peter was not a heretic. He was an, I'll put it this way, he was an orthopractical heretic. I mean, that is, in practice, he was just contradict. He was a contradiction to the message of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, let me give you just, I'm sitting, I'm trying to sit down on verse 18, if possible. Here we go. Number one, we are to speak truth. What we're working with here is overcoming evil with good. This is part of it. We are to speak truth. Always contend for the faith. Jude chapter, well, chapter 1, verse 3. There's only one chapter in Jude. Appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We're not to shrink back and fall back out of fear of consequences when we declare the truth. It's deadly for a church to begin to opt for this kind of approach to ministry. And there are churches that are doing it. If I may say so, and I will. There is a mood that is a, a thought process that's swept in through churches. And it has the veneer of a good thing. And it's like this. But it's a deficit when it comes to ecclesiology. You know what ecclesiology is? It's the doctrine of the church. And so the thought, the, the, the philosophy or the view of the church is, we're here to have an evangelistic outreach in the service of the church, in the worship service. That's what it's to be. We want unbelievers to come here and be comfortable and not be offended. Okay. Now, you, you say, well, we don't want unbelievers around here. <laughs> That's not where we're going. No. What you do is that you have as your commitment to the whole counsel of God. You preach the scriptures. You do that. And you, you're not, you're not uh, coming out as a spear thrower. You're coming out as a truth declarer. You're making the truth clear. 
But once you opt for a view, which I think is an unbiblical view, so then of the church that you just want everybody to be comfortable and offend no one, you just become reductionistic and what do you end up with? <laughs> and so I say again that this first principle, we are to speak truth, always contend for the faith, whole counsel of God, the purpose of worship in the church. I've tried to practice what I'm preaching for all these years. The purpose of the church is in the worshiping of God, exalting his name, and feeding the sheep. And in that process, oh, believe me, you're going to be hearing the gospel. How could you not? If you discipline yourself and you go through books of the Bible, and it takes time. Now, at one time, we had, we had some venues that we don't have now. We had Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'd love those Sunday nights. Hey, we could do things there that we couldn't get ever done on, 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 in the morning. And then we had Wednesday nights too. All right, things have changed. I'm known to sound like a grumpy old man who wants, oh, I wish the good old days could come back. Well, the culture changed. Okay, we got to roll with the punches. Is there a way that we can figure out how to get it done? That's my thinking. How can we get the whole counsel of God to the congregation considering that we would we're not going to fill up this place on Sunday night or whatever else we do. Monday night, Tuesday night, Martin Lloyd-Jones, some of his greatest preaching. He was a, one of the great expositors of the 20th century in London, England for decades. And he had a series on Romans that is colossal. Oh, you talk about drilling deep into the truth in the book. You know when he preached the series? Friday nights. At a packed house. Friday nights for years. And, okay, time, culture, you know, time changes, culture changes things, and so forth. So, don't misunderstand me. What I'm trying to get across is that we just have to be adaptive. We have to be nimble. But let's not stray away from the fact we are not meeting so that we don't offend people with this truth, that truth, and another truth. We declare the truth, the whole counsel of God, and we will experience what God wants us to experience, peace in our midst and unity. Okay, first principle. Won't stay that long on all of them, but uh, go. let's get the next one. Secondly, cultural awareness, cultural awareness enters into flexibility in evangelism. So your question is, well, what about unsaved people? You think my neighbors are going to want to come and hear a, a sermon on a Sunday morning? Now, there was a time when that would not have been so far-fetched as it might appear now. I mean, think of all the options you've got for Sundays now. And, well, I'll tell you, I'll briefly, I say, Paul had an approach to this problem, uh, to this matter of flexibility. On the one end, and the issue was, it's a, not quite, we don't have this issue today in Exactly, but it was a matter of circumcision. That was a Jewish ritual. If you want to get into the covenant community, circumcision of the males, that's important. And you know, Acts 15, they had to have a big time conference to get this right. Listen, there were some who were saying, if you're going to become, come into the church, then you got to come by way of the, some rituals, one of which was circumcision. Well, Paul, Peter, the others said, Oh, apostles, oh, we'll have none of that. 
There's no requirement for the gospel of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You don't put rituals as hoops to jump through. No. So, but he, Paul had Timothy circumcised because Timothy was his partner in evangelism. He was his right-hand man because he did not want to offend unbelievers out there. Paul was half Jew, or excuse me, Timothy was half Jew, half Gentile. And it was a matter of making himself acceptable to the, that audience out there in his evangelistic work. But then when he came, hold on, when it came to Titus, Titus had the same issue before him, namely circumcision. Paul said, well, he will not have to be circumcised because we're not going to send the message that that is a requirement for the new birth, for being saved. Okay, that... I hope that's helpful to you because when you look at this matter of flexibility, um, that's what it is in. All right, thirdly, very long here. Number three, we must always speak the truth in love. You can't have love without truth. And when you have truth, you've got love if you're really practicing the truth. You can't help it if people get offended, but make sure that it's not you that is offending them. Yeah, I, one of the things that a preacher has to be aware of is that you don't want to get, you don't want to get, uh, what's the word for it? You don't want to get uh, too cocky. I don't care if you're offended. Listen to what I'm saying. And so you want to make it a personal thing. Don't go there. No. Just make sure it's the truth that's offensive, not me, and that I've not infected what I'm saying and doing with opinions that could be misleading. Okay, with that, and finally... Well, what must we do, therefore, when we meet people? We work with one another, and we want peace to be environment. He said, if possible, let's go back and look at that again. He said that never, uh, excuse me, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. All right, and he said all men. So this means we've got to be at peace with fellow believers, but we've got a problem. When I look at this matter of relationships in the church and people getting along with one another, when somebody wrongs you, um, you know, I'm not talking about an unbeliever necessarily who is, who is offended and who doesn't like you at all and lets it be known, another believer. Well, we've got three directions, uh, three issues. We can have full reconciliation. Oh, that's the beautiful one. We can have partial reconciliation and then we can have no reconciliation that exists how do you handle those would you come back next week and we will look at those and we'll consider verses 19 through 21 lord willing and we'll consider this but by the way before we i pray how are your wells have you dug any wells did they get filled in? Are you a little upset with somebody who came along and took one of your wells? Oh, I, you know, may I explain my metaphor? Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it was just something that was implied about your character, about what you believe. Um, who knows what it could have, what it, what it is. You know. But do you, have you gone to the next well? And you said, this is not worth a quarrel here. 
And you go and you dig another well. How you do with your wells? Do you keep digging them? Jesus told Peter, well, how often do we forgive someone? Peter said, 70 times 7. Lord, I need help. <laughs> I don't know that that's in me. We need to look to the Lord who is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, would you put me on the road to know how to live what you're saying here? If this is possible, how can I be, how can I fulfill my responsibility and glorify you and attract people to the sweetness of peace, which is at the very center of the gospel? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are needy people, Lord. Oh, and Lord, we acknowledge our failures. Some of us may be holding grudges. You know our hearts, Lord. We can pray, search us, O God, know our hearts and see if there be any hurtful way in us. And lead us in the everlasting way that we will give, send off the right message to others around us about your peace, the peace that's in Christ, so that we'll be blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.